So you ever wish you could just shut the news off? I mean, beyond just clicking off the TV or logging off a flipbook, I mean, shut it off completely. Like live out life in the ignorance is bliss mentality. I get that sentiment. It may not even be local stuff. It may be stuff that I'm reading about or hearing about that happens across the world. And I'm still left scratching my head like, this stuff actually happens? People are actually like this? Sometimes it's like I want to apologize to the universe for the crazy that we here on earth add to it. What is the way through? If you were with us last week, you know, I, I had said and acknowledged, I guess, that we're not catching a passenger flight to Mars anytime soon as a way of being able to leave this world. But here's the thing. Wherever we go, even if it were possible to go to another world, we take ourselves with. And the desire to have a reset, it's not a new thing. The Apostle Paul started and wrote to churches that often left him just shaking his head like, oh my goodness. And as he writes to the church at Rome, he, he gives them a way through. Now for sure, his advice that he gives is very countercultural, both back then when he wrote it in the first century and today. It may sound out of place in our world. That's because it is. But if we're looking for an alternative to culture, he is worth a look. And he gives us that way out in two verses. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, they go like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I get this is a big ask that Paul is making. So let me set it up here a little bit, because Paul's not com completely coming out of the blue with this. Paul's been working up to this idea for 11 chapters in this letter. We're two-thirds of the way through this letter that he's writing. In those first 11 chapters, he's telling about all the things that God has done for people. He's expounding on that idea of by the mercies of God that he says in verse 1. It's similar to a mom who is talking to her son, saying to him at the top of the stairs, I gave birth to you. I feed you. I changed your diapers. I clothe you. I put a roof over your head. So could you please take the garbage out? He is giving us, Paul is, giving us a reason to worship consistently. And now he's finally making the ask. He's gotten to the punchline transition of his letter, if you will. Because we can't, let's face it, we can't leave our bodies on the church steps until we come back next week, right? Where you go, your body goes with. So Paul gives us some thoughts on how to worship when our bodies exist in this world. I know it seems kind of obvious, but more specifically for today, when they exist, when our bodies and our being exists in our culture. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. I believe it's safe to define our culture, in the West at least, as a consumer culture. I think I can get a pretty universal agreement there. Because our culture is motivated by preference and driven by an abundance of choices. And as an autonomous person, I get to make them, right? That's kind of the idea that 
runs our culture. Whether it's 70 flavors of ice cream at Mr. Cooley's or 40 different kinds of Doritos or cherry picking which church you want to go to because you don't like the music here or that chair set up there. Yes, step one to the freedom of not being conformed to the world is recognizing that our location will default to being our source of information or influence. As we were talking about last week, when I quoted Jay Warner Wallace, who says, I back off when I realize my point of location, being in the world, being in the West, at least where we're recording this, has become, I back off when I realize that my point of location has become my source of information, the things that influence me, the things that if I'm not aware of it, I'll just kind of go with the flow, whether that takes me somewhere good or takes me off a cliff. And when we acknowledge that that path of least resistance is going to be going with the flow, it lets us make a conscious choice about what influences we let into our minds and into our lives. So how do we push back on a consumer culture? Or to use Paul's world, how do we push back on the world? One way is cultivating an attitude of gratitude, of giving thanks. Again, Paul has set up these two verses, this big ask, with 11 chapters of stuff to be grateful for. Even if a person is a non-believer, if you're living in, a, in America, there's plenty to be thankful for. And when we're thankful for the things that we have, then the grass is greener lure or mentality doesn't appeal to us quite the same way. It doesn't have the same kind of control over us that it might if we weren't grateful for the things that we do have, even if they're not top of the line. It's sort of like the world will tell us, hey, you need to drop $70,000 on a new BMW. Mm, the freedom comes in being able to say, no, you know what? I'm happy with my used Rogue. I'm cool with that. Understand this, though I just gave an example of you know a BMW versus a used car. This idea goes way beyond just material possessions. And keep this in mind as well. When we really think about it, the whole idea of the grass is greener on the other side, well, the grass on the other side is always spray painted. Think about it. And when we recognize this, it fills our life with freedom that isn't just about avoiding something that steers us into bondage, but leaning into something that helps us grow, helps us have joy, helps us to have meaning in our lives. As Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So how can we play a role in this idea? Because as Christians, we believe that we are transformed and renewed very much by the work of the Holy Spirit. God plays a big part in this, but there's still a an area that we play a role. We're not entirely passive in this idea. It starts with recognizing something about our default culture. This is a concept that I learned uh, reading the book Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble. Uh, it was a, a great book, deep book, but he tells this story as he's talking about this book uh, on a college campus. And he says, let's pretend we're having coffee and conversation with a friend. And the relationship allows us, this is between a Christian and maybe somebody who's not a Christian, and the relationship allows you to ask, so what do you think about Jesus? And the response given by the non-Christian friend is, well, Jesus is a nice option among many. I'm not really sure which one to go with. 
And you, speaking uh, to the Christian in the conversation, you've got a truckload of apologetic tools to, to bring out and to address these kinds of responses. And you make your case and you go back and forth for a while. And eventually the time comes, maybe an hour later, you part ways thinking, and the Christian is thinking, awesome, I got the chance to share the gospel with them. Maybe you even ask others to pray for your friend. You know what? Honestly, I was a poster child of this kind of conversation for many years. And I don't mean that any of I don't mean any of this as a jab to relational evangelism. I still believe there is value in that. But let's say now we're going to go back to the table. What's going on in the friend's mind as you part ways? Well, Noble says this is a viable option for what's going on in their head. You know what? I'm really glad that this Christianity thing is working out for Joe. He seems to be so happy with it. And off they go to whatever is next on their plate. It begs the question, why doesn't the gospel penetrate like they might hope? Or like that approach may have done 20 years ago? Here's the thing. Because if there is any conviction behind the presentation, and the gospel often convicts, if there's any acknowledgement of a need for grace or for forgiveness or for Jesus, our friend has 500 ways to numb that out with distraction before he even reaches his car. And that doesn't even include the options if he pulls out his phone. Don't think of it as, well, I'm not a technical person, so this, none of this part counts for me, because there is a hundred different ways that you can be distracted when something feels hard or feels uncomfortable. You just have to pay attention to it. In a consumer culture, which, again, I think I can get pretty good agreement that we live in this kind of culture, with a full buffet of options, the God of the Bible becomes one of a thousand alternatives that people have in the realm of spirituality. Now, as a Christian, I don't believe all these options are equal, but I acknowledge that in our world, the God of the Bible is seen as being equal to the God of Buddhism or Islam or uh, any other kind of faith system or spirituality system that may be out there. And since Paul is talking about how we interact with the world and with culture, it's only fair to see what the world looks like from the world's point of view and acknowledge that. See, the culture offers many ways to be distracted from conviction, from being told that things aren't quite right, which, yes, buffers a person from pain or from distress, and I get that idea, But they all, because they don't have to risk anything in order to have that conversation with you. But it also numbs the person to real joy that can come from real transformation, from real meaning that can come from accepting those convictions and doing something about them. So how do we allow ourselves to be transformed? I want to advise the idea of practicing what Ellen Noble calls the double movement. See, since spirituality in our culture has so many different available flavors to it, a sense of the divine in our world is all but lost. Especially when our culture would also would try to explain away everything that makes cult, that makes our world beautiful. Science can explain this, or or physics can explain that. You know, if you're going on 
a walk as part of your next steps, which is going to be coming up in a little bit, and you happen across something that is beautiful, whether it's an animal or a plant or just the sound of of the the river going or something like that, say thank you, God, for that. Here's why I say this is kind of a double movement, because instead of just absorbing that beauty and stopping there, it absorbs that beauty. It allows us to experience that beauty, whatever it is. That's the first movement. And then it acknowledges that God is a part of it. It reminds us that God is not just imminent. God is not just in the practical and the pragmatic and the day-to-day, but he's also transcendent, above and beyond this world. It's an emphasis that studies really across the board indicate that many people seek. The idea, the chance to know God, the transcendent God, rather than just know about God, which is the idea of what an imminent God looks like. So what's going to put you on that walk? Here's the next steps for you. And these are bold because the idea makes so many of us uncomfortable. Each day this week, take five minutes of doing nothing of not trying to be productive or efficient or busy. Here, the subtext that of not allowing yourself to be distracted or numbed. Go for a walk, perhaps, or just let your mind wander. Let it go where it will. And if the Holy Spirit, here's where we can get a little bit uncomfortable, I admit, if the Holy Spirit uses that time to convict you or to show you a place where you can grow, hear this as be transformed, don't run away from it. That's what leads to spiritual worship on God's terms and allows us to experience the real joy and life in the process. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being a God of transformation, a God who gives meaning, a God who gives us beauty to enjoy. Remind us each day not to take you for granted, but to give you thanks for those things. And to not run away from the uncomfortableness of that growth creates in us, but to to partner with it, to allow you to transform us more and more into the people you want us to be and that you call us to be. All this we pray in your name. Amen.